Traumatized child to millionaire medical tech mogul, Elizabeth Holmes had big dreams and unmatched passion for a medical revolution. Stay tuned to hear how the inventor allegedly conned her investors out of hundreds of millions of dollars without ever showing them proof of concept. I'm Courtney Green. I'm Katie Reeves. And I'm Ezra Coopersmith. And this is Swindled in Sight the podcast where we explore some of the most successful scammers and hustlers in history, talk about why they worked, how they're still working, and what you can do to make sure you don't fall for them. This podcast is brought to you by Better Business Bureau, Great West and Pacific. The BBB has helped consumers find trustworthy businesses for over 100 years. With resources like Scam Tracker and online business records, finding trust in the marketplace is easier than ever. Visit BBB.org for more information. The opinions expressed on this podcast are our own and do not represent the opinions of Better Business Bureau, Great West, and Pacific. Two medical stories back to back. Look at us. Back to back to back. And neither one of them really has, you know, knew what they were talking about. Wah, wah. I mean, here's the thing, though. And it's something that we talk about all the time. It's really good intentions gone bad. And this one was particularly disappointing. And I know we won't talk about it a lot before we launch in per some feedback we've received. But (laughs) it was I I remember when this looked like legitimate company and people were excited and she was doing interviews and it was like, yes, here is this young woman. She dropped out of Stanford. She had this idea. She's a CEO of this, you know, huge company. And then it came crumbling down. So it was, yeah, this interesting, upsetting, and disappointing. So I might be the only person on the face <laughs> of the earth that has not heard of this. I, I vaguely know of it, but I really don't know any of the details. Well, the story of Theranos became headline news just three or four years ago now. And so... I, I'm not surprised as someone who tries to stay offline that you haven't heard it, but I'm also really surprised because I felt like this story was everywhere. It wasn't only online. It didn't only you know show up in Facebook feeds, but mm-hmm. there's documentaries about it. Um, in fact, it's kind of all over the news again because very recently um, they they've restarted the trial um, since, you know, COVID's kind of dying down a little bit. Um, so, or at least they have precautions now, um, in the courtroom. So there's, uh, there's justice maybe being served. We'll see. And, and that's why in the title of this, I had to say allegedly, and it's because we don't really know what the outcome is yet. Mm -hmm. Truthfully, they haven't, they haven't, given us enough evidence to show one way or another we all have personal opinions we all know that the documentaries lean one way or another but until there's a verdict Mm -hmm. um there's not a whole whole lot we can say as far as whether she is guilty or not but in the true spirit of uh, neutrality we're gonna give you the story and we're gonna let you decide for yourself Um, And with that, I will start. Um, A lot of this research actually came from the HBO documentary. Um, The rest of it came just from 
reading a lot of news stories on this. So I'm, I'm trying really hard not to make it seem like she's, uh, lost her way or it was all her fault, but, um, it seems that ev everybody else was. <laughs> so Elizabeth Holmes had a big dream of creating a device that could be used at home to take an incredibly small amount of blood to diagnose many different diseases. In short, she was trying to create an in-home laboratory that could find almost any disease with just a few drops of blood. Her fear of giving blood and a childhood trauma played a huge part in the idea for Theranos. In her youth, she spent summers with her uncle, who was diagnosed with skin cancer and turned, er, and that turned into brain and bone cancer. When he died, Elizabeth held on to the fact that she never got to say goodbye. While her intentions were good, she may have lost sight of right and wrong as the company and pressure grew. With a staff of nearly 800 people working diligently in Silicon Valley, Edison, the first prototype of her dream, was born. Millions of people around the world, particularly in the tech field, since that's what dominates the Silicon Valley, wanted so badly to believe in this company and their technology. But the kicker was, Theranos never disclosed their technology with investors or many of their employees. There wasn't enough real data to show their early detection technology even worked. Elizabeth was without a doubt a visionary and incredibly talented. She was able to think of a design, a way for it to even potentially work, build a company, and find a way for others to pay for it. At 19, she dropped out of Stanford, and by 21, she secured hundreds of millions of dollars from some of the biggest names in Silicon Valley. She never showed any of them financial statements or any tech to back her idea. Her story, family history of entrepreneurship, and medical science combined with her passion were all these billionaires needed to sink their money into her. Some of the people who worked closest with her would describe her as passionate, revolutionary, competent, and brilliant, and, sorry, a brilliant humans right, human rights leader. She had consulted several medical professionals from Stanford to get their input on the process, and none of which told them it was possible to create a lab in a tiny in-home box. Instead of discussing possible solutions, she took their professional advice with a grain of salt and continued to gain investors to ensure that she would be able to continue building her dream. Edison, the first prototype box, was said to have been built incredibly poorly. Blood would spill within the machine, needles would break, systems would glitch and overheat during testing. Years went by and only a few advancements were made. One ex-employee even noted that Elizabeth would bring investors and executives into their offices, take their blood to show them how the box worked, and once she took the blood, she would take them on a tour. During this time, a lab assistant would come in, take that blood, analyze it in an actual lab, not using the box at all, and then bring back the results before the group came back from their tour. As a part of deal with Walgreens, Many years later, 
when they started doing ted or they started doing testing of edison in arizona this blood would be drawn um, and said to be tested in-house with Edison, but was actually being sent to California where they would do a test in the lab. This was not the rollout that was promised at all. They didn't have FDA approval or the proper trials, but there was still a need for financial backing. So even though there was $400 million obtained from this campaign, there was still a lot of secrecy. It wasn't until Theranos was out in the world after this Arizona campaign that people really became skeptical. A Wall Street Journal journalist had his doubts, but until he received a tip from one of his trusted sources, he hadn't thought to look too much into it. He went to Arizona to be tested himself, thinking that he would get results immediately, and apparently more blood was required than they had originally told him, it, it ended up being kind of your typical full blood draw instead of a finger prick as it was promised. And over the next few years, they were doing testing in a lab, but in smaller tubes. So they were just taking a little less blood at a time. There were still a ton of mistakes within the results and they were giving customers diagnosis with bad testing, which gave a lot of false positives, gave a lot of false negatives. They were really messing up some people's medical um And you know, these were just minor things like misdiagnosing cancer. And blood diseases and diabetes and all sorts of things that you are required to give, in most cases, at least a full vial of blood so they can run several tests. Anyway, these allegations are... Sorry, it all kind of came crumbling down in 2015 when John Carreyrou, I hope I'm saying that right, the Wall Street Journal journalist started to discuss the discrepancies within their marketing and their results. He knew this firsthand because he went to Arizona to get that blood drawn and it wasn't as promised. Due to their NDA, former employees were fearful of speaking out against the company and how they operated. Some of them ended up speaking out against Theranos afterwards anyway. These allegations were enough for surprise inspections that proved that there were dozens of violations uh, against the company. Elizabeth was interviewed about those allegations and she told the reporters that she had never known that they were operating unethically and was heartbroken that her company was lying to her. The company quickly lost funding, as it should, lost all certifications and all ability to continue working as a lab. There was a lawsuit between Theranos and investors and the state of California and employees. Their legal fees by 2017 had sucked them dry at $300 million of the $900 million they had raised from investors. Soon after, their board members all quit, which led to the company dissolving in 2018. Elizabeth was charged with conspiracy and fraud the summer of 2018. She reappeared in court for the first time since COVID in early May of 2021. Investigations and legal actions are still being pursued. And that is the story of Theranos. If people could watch me listening to this story, I'm basically just falling over with frustration because of 
not because of Courtney, obviously, just because of this story is. And it was equally as insane watching it unfold live. Truthfully. And just, I'm sorry. When she came in and then said, oh, I am so disappointed and upset that I'm being lied to. Madam, how dare you? Well, we all know what Katie believes happened. Come on. Please. She didn't know. I'm sure. Yes. Allegedly. Sorry. Um, well, it's just really hard because she always claimed to have such a pulse on what was going on within her company. And well, she I truly did. I think know. she did. I do feel terrible for her that this whole thing came crumbling down. But if what she said is true and she really was on the ground floor looking at every angle and doing what a true CEO and president does then she obviously knew what was happening. And so did probably many of the board members. Oh, listen, she is not a, a, a dumb person. To be able to pull this off, you have to be very intelligent. And listen, she got into Stanford and we can say, you know, did she have connection to Stanford? Who knows? Probably. But she, you know, she got in. She's an intelligent person. And I'm sorry for them to have no data to back up anything after several years you don't just get to go huh what i had no idea come on i don't buy it again allegedly what but yes, amazes you can me. you can see where i'm coming from on this one like i i mean this is the first time i'm hearing the story so maybe i misunderstood but that i mean that you could raise what hundreds of millions Oh, um, she the, she and raised this company was valued at like almost ten billion dollars at its yeah, at, at one its height. Point. So, at, at its so peak. raising that amount of money, um, but not really showing investors your product or enough detail that people could be confident that you could actually build this product that you're saying you're going to build and have it work. I mean, that's amazing to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Truthfully, I think there was so much science that had a big old question mark on it in Mm. the box and a lot of technology that was far beyond its time that that's why people, they were probably like, you know, you probably wouldn't understand it anyway. You guys are billionaires in a different area because you're in tech. This isn't the same as building an app. You know what I mean? And we're the experts. Mm-hmm. But it exactly. didn't, but it did. I, I was telling Ezra, I was joking about this before we started recording that honestly, you just had to very briefly touch the surface and red flags would just immediately start popping up. Like it wasn't right. well hidden that things were off. Right. But Katie, how did this go undetected so long? What was the psychology that really led to people truthfully? like sinking millions and billions of dollars in this. Well, you know, I when I was doing research for this, it, it was it was a journey, I'll say, because it's it's there's so it, this topic is huge. There's documentaries, there's articles, there's a right. lot on this particular topic and scandal, if you will, cuz that's what it was. When it came out that this was just a house of very expensive cards, it it was a scandal. Uh, and so when I was doing research, 
I kept coming across something that was being referenced by Dr. Daniel Kahneman, which, uh, by the way, this man is a genius. He's won a Nobel Prize. He has tons of research. He's just one of those people that I think, ah, what is it like to be someone that smart (laughs) and and that accomplished? I'll never know. So what what they were bringing up was his research, um, Dr. Kahneman, about system one and system two processing in our brain. And he has been marketing this and discussing this and relating it to the business field. So I think this is why this is something that when people were looking for, how could this possibly have occurred? This one really applied because, you know, it's very easily applied into the business world and decision-making with that, but also decision-making with really anything. So his research is that there are two different systems, one called system one and system two. System one is more automatic and involuntary processing that our brain does, where we're not really specifically aware of the mechanics, but it's about making very fast decisions. And this, based on his research, this takes up about 98% of our thinking. Mm-hmm. Courtney, mm-hmm. is your dog snoring? Yeah, can you hear him? I can, and it's adorable. I just wanted to give Duke a shout out. <laughs> I was like, "What's the that little that little rumbling out. I'm hearing?" Little yeah, aw, little. Sorry Duke. about the snores, everybody. Just focus on the psychology, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Uh, maybe that's how people are feeling when I talk. <laughs> no. Just snore. Um, oh no. So this, so that, yeah, that system one again. It may it. It makes about 98% of our decisions. And the defining characteristics of this, again, are unconscious, they're effortless, they're automatic, um, without self-awareness or control. It's just making these decisions. And what influences this process is information that's already been reinforced by prior experiences. That information, you know, that we've come across again and again, whether it's correct or not, (laughs) It's, that's not based on, you know, again, if something's accurate, it's just, it can be based off of stereotypes, familiarity. Right. And again, we're not really aware if we're making that decision based off of actual accuracy or just off of prior experience. And so, and, and most of what we do or say with system one and people ask, you know, why did I do that? Or why did this person do that? And we come up with an explanation. A lot of it, that may be what we perceive the reason is why we came up with a thought, but it may not always be correct. Mm-hmm. And so that the other thing I, I noticed that, um, in his research was cognitive illusions. And this is a thing where we continue to believe that we're correct in the face of contradicting evidence or red flags. We're already bought into this idea. And even though there may be some red flags or contradicting evidence, horse blinders, no thank you, don't want to know. And so that's where we're able, again, the, the term is cognitive illusions, how we're able to, again, just reinforce what we already believe is true and correct. And now system two is more controlled. It's more deliberate. And again, makes about 2% of our thinking. So, and the defining characteristics is this system is more 
deliberate and conscious, making effort, controlled mental process, rational thinking. It, it takes effort, you know. Um, you know, say for example, a lot of times, if say if you're someone who's going to therapy and you're unpacking a lot of your behavior, reasons behind it, that's really get getting into that system two thinking. And so, essentially, what people are positing with this research is that. For a lot of the individuals who are making decisions for investments or working for this company is that a lot of it was due to system one thinking where it's quick. Hey, this seems like a great idea. There's already investors. Oh, my gosh. Technology of the future. And of course, we, and we've talked about this before, I believe I'm so sorry if I get this incorrect. I want to say we talked about it with pyramid schemes, that old familiarity where they were able, they went to investors who knew each other, or they could say, hey, this person's already invested this much. This person's already invested this much. You want to get in on this. <gasps> oh, well, geez, we got to make a rapid decision. This all sounds good. They're not really, they're not asking necessarily for, hey, could we see some documentation? There's already, it's, there's already a huge, a lot of momentum. And with that momentum, well, it can come with ignoring particular red flags or not even honestly asking those questions. And I, I don't want people to think, oh, look at these people who invested. They're so dumb. No, I mean, that's not because we had, of course, you have the people investing millions, but you also had a lot of average people investing their hard-earned money into this as well. And they had other friends who were doing it. You know, get on the ground floor. We're going to get a lot of money in return. And so I think, sorry. <laughs> Duke, Duke, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, I love it. I keep wanting to wake him up, but he's, he's so not feeling right well. He's yeah. not feeling well. Let him rest. Let him rest. <laughs> um, and so, and, and you know, I, I read the actual um, research, which, oh boy, am I out of practice. A lot of it was like just a dial tone in my head when I was trying to read over <laughs> what oh, they were man. talking about. But I did, and I'll include this, we'll include this in the show notes, a great website that broke it down, the actual research. And it has a great interview with Dr. Kenneman that talks about, you know, specific examples of where we're not using our system one thinking. And the example mm -hmm. that he brought up was actually Bernie Madoff, who we've talked about and mentioned with other in our period, pyramid scheme podcast. Right. People will, were warned about him for years. And people, you know, they didn't necessarily dig deeper until a lot, you know, it was too late. A lot of already stuff happened. People lost money. But he had a good reputation. He had powerful people surrounding him. And so for a lot, that was enough. They didn't mm -hmm. need additional information. So this isn't uncommon. I think... I'm sure there were lots of things going on to help really catapult. I think it it was likely a perfect storm, like you see in so many of these things that get so big. Um, but that, that system one and that system two thinking really hit home for me, where, again, I mean, if something's exciting and the pieces seem to fit, 
And listen, they the investors may have done this exact same process with a lot of other businesses and never had a problem. It's right. just this one time they didn't do the due diligence that it was very a very expensive lesson. So that's essentially what I came across, you know, that system one, system two, and also that piece of familiarity where other people were already doing it. So, hey, jump on board. Don't miss this opportunity. So anyway. What well, was revolutionary, and I think being a part of something so groundbreaking made it um, a little easier to get away with as well. I'm sure, because this was something that... I, it's a, as a concept it's amazing it sounds great be being so i mean awesome. to be able to have essentially a home laboratory and i hope that we get to a place where we could have that access uh but it is a very complicated process the technology mm -hmm. will likely take years and years and years and years and it's not going to be likely something this quick as we saw mm -hmm. where it started and then oh we have it even we did it. It's a great idea. Yeah. Now investors forever will be so cautious about well, investing in, that's fine. in this kind of technology, which I mean, it maybe should have been handled that way prior, but um, that's, it's so crazy that we literally ignore red flags because our brain is like, no bypass. Yeah. It, it Honestly, a lot of the time we're not even consciously aware of it. I mean, it our, our brain it's 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 incredible what it does. I mean, even if someone could ask you, this example gets used a lot in other studies or in articles where someone asks you a question and the information you don't quite have you don't quite have the answer to that specific question. Your brain will essentially flip it a little bit. So you interpret the question where you have the answer and you answer it, but it's not exactly the question that was asked and you're not again you are not aware of this it's just what your brain just does quickly in the moment interesting i feel like i do that a lot and sometimes i am aware of <laughs> everyone <it>. does <laughs> literally everyone it's does it's just how your brain works <laughs> exactly i had no idea i mean i'll probably be far more conscious of that now and hopefully catch myself but at the same time, there's so many things that our brain does automatically that unless we're catching ourselves or retraining our brains, we're never going to notice that we do them. Well, and a lot of it is just our brain saving us time because we do the same right. things over and over and over again. And it. yeah, so it's it's our brain is doing its job. It's just being aware of what's happening and knowing in situations where if it's a big decision, really making sure you're doing that due diligence and that digging. Yeah, absolutely. Ezra, what mm -hmm. were the red flags here? Aside from the big obvious, maybe the investors should have seen some documentation. What else are we seeing in cases like this or even in this story that maybe we should have well, we, I didn't invest. I was only like 16 when this thing started, but I, I'm curious yeah. what, what angle you want to take for this I mean, story. there were, I'm glad that we did a topic like this because I think so often, um, you know, in, in schemes that we deal with at BBB and topics for this podcast, 
um, we're talking about instances where people get ripped off intentionally. And even even when the person who does it has some sort of deniability or they say, oh, I didn't know what I was doing, it's it's still sometimes pretty obvious that, okay, you did. Or, or if you didn't think you were doing something wrong, clearly you had to – to get to that point, you had to go through some mental gymnastics and it was motivated by greed. Whereas this this feels different, and and stories like this do happen a lot, in my experience at BBB, um, and and I can think of a lot of ways that that consumers have lost money, but it's not because somebody's out to rip them off. It's because somebody doesn't have the best experience, doesn't know exactly what they're doing. A business gets away from them. So, you know, in in the in the business world, this happens a lot. I can think of a few ways that I see this happening a lot. One is when, especially in the online space, um, sometimes people have businesses that that become really successful um, a lot quicker than they anticipate. And it's actually, it's it's it can be really sad when we have to work with, you know, maybe like an online store owned by a husband and wife and say, um, you know, hey, you guys are, are going to be F-rated because you're just getting so many complaints. No one can get through your customer service. They're having all these issues. You're not responding to anything with us. And and sometimes what they say is, you know, this this was like a side gig and it just took off and we haven't been able to hire new people. We haven't, you know, we're we're only just getting that revenue, so we don't have the resources to deal with it. Or establish the supply chain. Exactly. Um, and I mean, luckily, you know, as an organization, I just said sometimes we do sometimes have to demote the rating, but, you know, we're there to work with them. Um, but it is really, you know, you can have a, a great idea, you can be an innovator, but also not have much experience running a business. Um, I also sometimes see it with contractors who, um, again, are, are probably really skilled, have even been doing it for a while, but they either get backlogged on work because of something that happens in their personal life or they're having some trouble with funds and so they have to you know, use money from one job to pay for a previous one. And they're not trying to steal from somebody, but pretty quickly it, it becomes unsustainable and it, and it just collapses. Um, the third time I think we see this a lot is, um, obviously over the holidays, people give a lot of money, but also every time there's a big natural disaster or some sort of a mass tragedy, um, we see tons of, of calls for donations, arise and sometimes they're from these these kind of big established organizations but other times they're they're from people who are like hey i want to help i'm going to make a a kickstarter well i guess you can't do a kickstarter but a gofundme or some sort of a like a, a is it called crowdsourcing um but unfortunately you know even if their intentions are really good these people don't always have experience um running a nonprofit, and so we sometimes get complaints from people saying, hey, I donated a bunch of money and I haven't seen any results. Or, you know, hmm, in hindsight, they didn't really specify what percentage of, of money that comes in is going to be donated versus what's going to be folded back into administrative costs. And I don't even know what their administrative costs are because they don't disclose it. So all of this is to say, you know, as a either an investor or a, a consumer or as a shopper, it's important to look out for people who are, um, out to get you. It's also just important to say um, to not, I guess, have that that what did we call it? It was a 
not a cognitive bias, but to have cognitive, cognitive illusion. Yes, to be under that cognitive illusion where because somebody genuinely seems to have great intentions, because somebody seems to be um, an honest person or really skilled at what they do, that you're necessarily going to have a good outcome doing business with them or investing or giving money. Um, and you also do really want to take that step further and say, okay, um, as much as I trust this person, what experience have other people had uh, doing business with them? Am I actually going to get what I paid for? Or, you know, in the case of like a nonprofit, um, can I see a breakdown of, of what their administrative cost is versus, you know, how much of my donation is going to go towards a cause versus, um, you know, ad dollars and, and all of that. It, it is important. And that can actually, I mean, maybe it's just me. That can almost feel like a, in my gut, that almost feels wrong. Like I'm doing well, that person wrong, but it's not. It like, it doesn't mean and, that you don't trust somebody to want to look a step further. And not saying that BBB is the end all to research, but even in terms of not-for-profits, and since that is an area where we may see some people feeling like, mm -hmm. ah, I, I, I'm not investing the money like I thought it would be invested, uh, we do have accredited charities, and we do reports on charities as well. So if you are ever looking for more information about, um, you know, we've, we've done the research for you, so if you are looking into that, feel free to check out our accredited charities. And you can do that through bbbsgive.org. Thank you. I, I thought, uh-oh, what's the actual <laughs> Wait a minute. URL? It is funny. I used to forget it all the time because it's a different website. Um, but yeah, to what Katie was talking about, that's one of many awesome resources because um, we actually get information about how charities break down their spending. And it's, you know, for the most part, these are all incredible organizations. So it's it's not about... Absolutely. Um you know, usually you, the info that you read is pretty impressive, but it, as a con, as a consumer, it's a good example of how you do want to understand um, basically the how the sausage gets made or kind of the backside of how this organization or business um, works. And even if it's somebody that you know or you trust, that's not always going to lead to a great business experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So. What tips would you give or what best practices? Yeah, I guess I didn't really, I guess, talk about <laughs> skirting an exact question. So I guess with this specifically, <laughs> so let's talk about investing. Um, you, you want to do whatever you can to actually understand um, what you're investing in. So in this case, I don't. Again, this is a story that I don't know a ton about, but it sounds like a lot of the people who were investors um, were involved in the tech space, but not necessarily in like the medical tech space. So had an idea that like, yeah, this is in my alley. This is like a lot of money making opportunities I've had before and just kind of gave money. Um, and that's really not the way to do it. Like you if you're going to invest you want to understand, like, okay, what is this business? Um, what is their business plan? Um, and not just what is their product, but in this case, if it's a product that hasn't been developed yet, um, you know, why do they think they're going to be able to develop it? Um, who's running the business? What kind of experience do they have? Uh, you really want to ask all of those questions 
before you give, in this case, you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars. Let's be honest. I'm sure Life some of the investors had money to lose. But. <laughs> Life advice from Ezra. Question everything. Question and everything. Trust no rad. one. Question <laughs> everything. Yeah, everyone, even the trustworthy people are out there to steal from you. So trust everything. Oh. No. Or don't trust anything. No, not trust no one, but absolutely <laughs> question everything. I was actually raised that way. Like, I think it drove my, my parents mad, but... It, it makes me really critically think, is this something that I believe? Is this person trustworthy? Mm-hmm. Um, what are follow-up questions that will solidify what I think is true? And I think that's, that's very true with investing, with giving, with really every relationship, every political decision, every life decision is, is asking questions Almost to the point of a pro and con list. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, do the cons outweigh the pros? Do the pros outweigh the cons? So uh, as we've talked about in the Reed Slack and uh, American Greed conversation, investing is a risk. Mm-hmm. And whether it reaps rewards or not, it's still a calculated risk. And so is that risk worth the reward? Is that risk too much? Would it bankrupt you? Would it ruin your life if things went wrong? Um, these are all questions that I don't necessarily think everybody asks themselves. And I think those are really important questions to ask. Um, we get uh, very overwhelmed with the idea of almost getting rich quick, putting your mm-hmm. money somewhere and immediately quadrupling, octupling. I don't know if that's a word, but you know what it's I mean? It's absolutely a word. It Octuple? Yeah, it means two <gasps> times by eight, to multiply by eight. Oh, mm-hmm. I, know, I know, I know, but octupling. Anyway, it's, it's, it's fine. this idea. Use it as a word. <laughs> Use it as a verb. Merriam-Webster, come on, give me a shout out here. Um, but yeah, it's absolutely this idea of almost getting rich quick without doing a whole lot, just faith, sheer faith. And, and that is, um, it's a little scary to me. It's one of the reasons why, even though I probably have a small amount that I could test sample, I probably won't. And Ezra, I know you invest in a little bit of crypto and that is a gamble that I just, I high five you, know you for even trying. <laughs> well, so I was actually going to bring that up as a warning. Um, first of all, <laughs> that is not. Be, I'm just going to put this out there. Be incredibly cautious with any. I happen to get really lucky with a crypto investment. But in general, that is probably like the riskiest thing you could do. Don't invest in crypto unless you have like a diverse portfolio. You've maxed out your 401k contributions and you're going to like play with some money that you're okay losing. And maybe you'll like hit the lottery with it. Um, but I was actually going to bring up crypto as kind of an example of another warning to, to Courtney build off of what you were talking about, which is to, I think it's easy to fall into the trap that past successes um, guarantee future successes and that, especially with investing, and that is in no way the case. But I think, ironically, I'm seeing it a lot now with crypto, but but also just, you know, in other sectors, 
that sounded really dumb and uninformed. But basically what I'm trying to say is if you see a bunch of people <laughs> making money off of a certain type of investment, that does not mean that, you know, hey, this, you know, this stock or this investment doubled last week, which means if I put all my money in it, it's probably going to double this week. And that is so far from the truth. Um, but I think a lot of people fall into that trap and they basically have FOMO and blow a lot of money thinking that they're going to get on the train, but they're the last person on the train and they end up losing a lot of money. And for all those who are not familiar with the phrase FOMO, Mm. that refers to fear of missing out. I'll be completely honest. I didn't know what that was until like, I don't know, six months ago. And (laughs) it's been used for like the last two or three years pretty regularly. I've just been making up my own meaning for it. So... Uh, But those are really good tips. Thank you so much, Ezra. Thank Mm -hmm. you, Katie, for the psych behind it. And thank all of you for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to hear more stories about the biggest scams in history, how they worked, how they're still working, and how to stay safe from them. Until next time.